Let's do this. Welcome to episode 115 of In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. My name is Zach Kroll, along with my co-host, The Real Lil, and we are here today covering the most fascinating, the most interesting, and the most polarizing topics in all of sports. And we have so much to talk about with you guys today as we're going to talk some basketball. We're even going to talk some football. And even though last episode, Lil and I uh, gave you the final rankings, 5-1, to one, on our quarterback list. We have a lot to discuss to follow up on that list. We're going to get into that as it is always good to record on a Friday. And before we get into it, I wanted to say what's up to my guy, Will. How are we doing today? Yeah, we doing good, man. It's a beautiful weekend, a beautiful Friday afternoon. So you know what we got to do, Zach? We got to be here for the people. I know the people had a long week, you know, a long, hot week. And you know what? We got to bring y'all home, man. That's exactly what we're going to do with our topics that we have here on the agenda. I just want to shout out all the In The Huddle correspondents and friends of the show. Bro, we represented from all over, man. We got people in Miami. We got people out in Texas. We got people out in, um, what's it, New Jersey. We got people out upstate, Long Island, the Bronx. So, ladies and gentlemen, we here. We represented, man. And we we going to be the Wu-Tang, the Wu-Tang of sports radio, Isaiah. Isaiah, I'm going to pass you the walk, man. I'm ready to go. Hey, man. I'm just glad to be here. It was a fun night last night. It was a great game. Um, I'm just glad we were able to talk about it today. Yes, sir. So let's get into it. Topic number one, the Phoenix Suns take home game number two of the NBA Finals in the Valley last night by a final score of 118 to 108. They are now two wins away from their first NBA title in franchise history. And the number one question that we are going to have on the table today is do we have any confidence the Bucks can get back in this series? And boys, I'm actually going to start this one off because I think last night showed me a lot about this series and what's going on. Because I will say this, if and for anyone that is listening to this show, you guys will know that I've had my critiques of Giannis and I've asked myself many times throughout not only these playoffs, but past playoffs, is it possible for you to win a championship when Giannis is your best player? And even though he is not 100% healthy after that gruesome injury, impressed with his condition. I was impressed that he was really ruthless. He had no fear of just trying to put the bucks on his back. He had the most points in an NBA uh, playoff quarter in the history of the playoffs. That is phenomenal. So he played really well. But I just think that Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton failed the Bucks last night. I mean, I, I think that's the number one uh, thing that comes to mind for me. Uh, neither of them played really well. And I understand Drew Holiday, he is a really good defender. One of the five best defenders in the NBA. He's a great defender. But at the same time, I think his offensive game over these playoffs has been exposed. There's a huge difference between dropping 20 points a night in the regular season in February on the New Orleans Pelicans when, let's face it, no one's really watching your games, and then all of a sudden you're playing in the NBA Finals, in the Eastern Conference Finals, and even in that Hawks series. He played all right, but there's a huge difference between playing against a 65-70% Trey Young, an injured Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Herder, and all these young players, and then you're going up against uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker 
and the depth of these Suns. So I think guard play has been exposed for the Bucks in this series. I said it last week. I'll say it again. They really miss DiVincenzo. I think this is the first time in these playoffs where you watch the Bucks and it's like, wow, this guy, his shooting, his length, his size can make a significant impact. One other thing I'll say about the Suns, man, 20 made threes. Again, this team is relentless. When you make 20 threes in an NBA Finals game at home, you're not losing. And that's exactly what happened last night. And even with all that being said, the Suns were up six late in the fourth quarter, but then Chris Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday bricked a couple shots, and all of a sudden, the Suns are up by 12 again. They never really looked back. Devin Booker was phenomenal last night. That was one of his better... uh, played games in the playoffs i love what monty williams has been doing with deandre ayton because let's face it Giannis got the best of ayton last night but i think ayton did as well the job as he possibly could to at least limit him frustrate him a little bit especially when you consider uh the sun's depth behind him we know dario sarge got hurt uh tory craig got hurt and to answer the question i actually am not calling this series over because i think the sun's injuries to those two guys in particular Two of their top four bench guys could maybe give the Bucs a little bit of an opening in this series. I actually wouldn't be shocked if the Bucs win both uh, games three and four at home. We all know as smart basketball minds, role players seem to play uh, much better at home. So I think the Bucs are going to win game three. I give them a shot in game four because I was actually really impressed with what I saw from Giannis last night. He deserves a lot of credit, but I think we all could agree Holiday and Middleton need to be better. Zach, I'm actually going to disagree. You know, I picked the Suns to win in six. But I looked at the game yesterday, and I do think that the Bucks will win game three. But I think the Suns will win um, in game four. The Suns are the better team. They're clear better team than the Bucks. They, they haven't lost to the Bucks all year when you combine the regular season and when you combine the two games last night. Look, I thought the Bucks did well. I mean, when you talk about the first quarter that they had, they came out and attacked the paint. It looked like Drew Holiday was going to be aggressive. And even the spectacular first quarter that the Bucks have, the Suns was only down by three points at the end of the first quarter. So it's like I'm looking at the Suns and in game one, they said we're going to attack the basket and we're going to live off our free throws. And that's how we're going to break the Bucks down. And that's how we're going to beat the Bucks. You saw Devin Booker attacking the paint. You saw them at the line shooting. I think there was 25 or 26 at the line. And this game, they didn't even get to the free throw line. They only got there three times. And they shot 23s. I'm just saying that I'm looking at this team. I'm like, they beating the Bucks in different ways. It's not like the Bucks are playing terrible. Obviously, we could get more out of that big three um, from the Bucks side. But I'm just looking at the, the Suns. And I'm saying, how can the Bucks stand a chance when the Hawks, I mean, not the Hawks, when the Suns have been playing good throughout the whole year. And they like a camouflage. They can win in many different ways. So I understand the injuries of Satori Craig and um, Sarjic, and I, I just think that they have too much depth. You know, and that's why that's a good thing about depth is that yeah, when you got one or two guys that's going down, you're still able to, you know, compete. Mikel Bridges, I mean, he put in work. So it's not like they are very big three dependent. They still got Mikel Bridges. Drake Crowder scored 11 points yesterday. So if they can get some more out of Drake Crowder and some more of Cam Johnson, who's been playing good throughout the whole playoffs, I think they're fine. They're going to win this series probably in five. Look, DeAndre Aiden's been great, but at the same time, I think that sooner rather than later, he might show a little signs of fatigue. Like, guys, he's playing 42 minutes a game in the NBA Finals. And without Sarge, you really want Frank Kaminsky on the floor guarding Giannis late in crunch time. That's not going to end well for the Suns. Isaiah, take it away. 
you know, well, DeAndre Ayers is real young. You know, he's only 22 years old. And I'm pretty sure he could he could take a couple bruises here and there and be pretty much fine. Not like he's 36, six foot, putting up 20, 30 points for the team and doing what he has to do. But uh, guess last night. I don't know. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's it was a everybody he, he had a lot to do last night. Everybody you know, guys. He had a lot to do. He definitely was a, a force to be reckoned with on the court, even though his numbers don't show it. He definitely, you know, was an a big impact. But I think that um it's all falls down to the second quarter. Um Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday were over ten combined in that second quarter, and that was daunting after a promising first quarter that they had. Um I'm extremely disappointed in how just um Drew Holiday has been playing offensively. Uh, first two games of the final, he is, he is 11 for 35, shooting 31%, of course, and uh, one for nine from the three. Uh, that's not the Drew Holiday that I remember from New Orleans Pelicans, who was scoring on tough defenders, who was almost getting double team in New Orleans, having great games. And I don't remember him. I was telling my friend this yesterday. I don't remember him struggling this bad in, a, in just such a long stretch. Um, it's it's very weird. I hope it's not an injury that he's gonna probably, un, you know, um, un basically unleashed everyone in the world later on. They said, yeah, I was hurt during the playoffs, but I didn't want to say nothing because my team needs me in X, Y, and Z. So hopefully in the all season, something like that gets like addressed because I don't, this is not the Drew Holiday I remember. I don't I don't remember Drew Holiday shooting 7 for 21 so often and not having these like better games. But also in the third quarter, you know, the Bucks didn't play good defense. You know, I mean, the whole game, the Bucks didn't play good defense. You know, that third quarter alone, Devin Booker and, and uh, Chris Paul had double-digit scoring. They scored 22 combined in the third quarter. And, like, they couldn't stop anyone else on the, on the um, role players. It just seemed like the Suns, as a team, was able to just surpass the Bucks defensively. They was getting buckets. And then it was daunting to see that the um, Milwaukee Bucks, I almost forgot the name, Milwaukee Bucks had 18 offensive rebounds. And that not that many second-chance points. You know, that usually that translates into more second-chance points and getting more, like, you know, baskets on and on. But... Those offensive rebounds almost meant nothing in this game. People talked about the free throws last game. The Bucks had more free throws and still lost this game. The biggest issue is Giannis is getting every free throw. He shot 18 free throws for the he shot 18 free throws for the entire game. The rest of the team only shot five. They, they need to get to that free throw line. Like everyone needs to like get there. And Drew Hardy was missing some open layups it, it was like disgusting all a lot of in and outs in and outs in and outs the bucks announcer was getting sick of it he was like you know drew hardy has been anything but automatic from the free throw line he's only shooting 67 percent from the free throw line this playoffs that that is extremely disgusting um i don't know like back to what zach said even before like about the bucks playing against the nets and even against the Hawks, like this Bucks team is something it's like it's hard to root for them because you don't know what you're gonna get out of them. They're so inconsistent. And to the point where I looked at Chris Middleton and was like, I didn't know the Bucks signed J.R. Smith because that's exactly what he looked like. He looked like an inconsistent uh, inconsistent player. One game he's having a great shooting nights, the next game, you don't even know what he's doing. You're just surprised, like how you're missing these shots. It doesn't make sense. And um, I, I hope the Bucks can win a game or two at home because you expect them to come home with a chip on their shoulder and to play hard, aggressive, and score. But it's looking like the Suns could give it, get it in five. And that is yeah. a scary part. And, and uh, to go and add to that point, you talk about the Bucks' inconsistencies. And I know I've been on the other side saying that that's how the Bucks are. You never know. They're going to show up one game and they're not. That's just how they are. They went ugly. But at the same time, when you look at the playoffs and the teams that they played, uh, uh, James Harden less or Hobble less, 
and um Kyrie Irving-less Nets team where Kevin Durant literally ISO all game. They was and they went to seven. And then you talk about the Hawks without Trey Young and how you know the fatigue at the end, and that's how they won. So it's not like they played a consistent team in the playoffs. The Suns, on the other hand, they've been consistent throughout the whole year, like Zach alluded to. They was the only team that I know of, or one of the only teams that took the regular season seriously. And now they damn sure taking the playoffs seriously as well. So that inconsistencies will only work but for so long. And when you go up against a team like the Suns, like I said, that can beat you in multiple different ways. When you look at the other side, when you look at the Bucks, I mean, Drew Holiday and um, Chris Middleton combined for 28 points on 12 of 32 shooting. They supposed to be dropping 20 points each, at least, plus. You know, and they combined for 28 points? That can't happen. That that really can't happen at all. So Giannis had a spectacular game yesterday. I believe he was able to help trim the lead to five with like 8.5, 8.45 left in the fourth quarter. But then the Suns did something that the Bucks can't. Devin Booker said, you know what? I'm going to take y'all behind the green pasture and I'm going to take y'all to y'all misery. And that's exactly what he did. And that's what the Bucks lack is that killer instinct. It showed yesterday. Devin Booker said, you know what? Giannis, I respect you, brother. You're doing good. Got 40 points. Spectacular game. But this is my title to lose. I'm the next Kobe Bryant. If I, if Kobe Bryant was here, he would have told me to put you out. And that's exactly what he did last night. And that's why the Suns are up 2-0. I want to ask a quick question to both of y'all because I want to ask y'all, when are we going to start uh, criticizing Mike Budenholzer's game adjustments because putting Jeff Teague and Bryn Forbes on Chris Paul and Devin Booker is just uh, it's like a deer in headlights. They can't guard these people. The Bucks announcer again said Jeff Teague is a bad matchup against Devin Booker. Why is he in the game? You know, and this is a guy who's, who's like commentating his entire his own team. And the fact that he's calling it out like this, why is Jeff Teague and Bryn Forbes on defending these guys? Like, when are we going to start criticizing Mike Budenholzer's game adjustments? Yeah, I think to answer that, here's what I'd say. Maybe, and I think this was just exposed in the first two games, maybe the fact that these games were in Phoenix had a lot to do with it. But what I love about Phoenix and what they do from uh, the on-the-court perspective is like they pick and roll with everyone. It doesn't matter if it's Booker, Bridges, Aiton. Like, it is crazy. So they feel comfortable getting whatever matchup they want off of that pick and roll. And that's the problem. We've been sitting here for the first couple minutes of this episode talking about the only positive of Drew Holiday's game uh, throughout these first two uh, uh, finals games. It's been his defense. The problem is it doesn't matter because the guy that he starts guarding on the ball is not the guy who he ends up guarding because Phoenix is just so versatile and they're willing to switch everything off that pick and roll. And maybe that just means the Bucks are a bad, uh, the Suns are a bad matchup for the Bucks. Who knows? Yeah, it shows. It looks like they're a bad matchup. I mean, Mikel Bridges went off for 27 points and a lot of his stuff was off the dribble. So it's like if he's not shooting threes and he's he's getting to the rack and you can't stop Mikel Bridges. I mean, I'm not no shots at Mikel Bridges. He's a great player. You know, his cuts to the basket is very lethal. But at the same time, bro, like it's like everybody, you know, Jay Crowder struggled 0 for 8 and you still couldn't take advantage of that. In this game, he made three three-pointers and scored 11, po 11 points in total and had 10 rebounds. So it's like they're doing it by committee. They're getting more out of their supporting cast than the Bucks are, and that's why they're up 2-0. Once and again, the only worry I have for Phoenix, uh, one quick second, is that next game, guys, they're going to be playing seven players. Like, literally, their rotation is going to be Paul, Bridges, uh, Crowder, Booker, Aiton, Johnson, Payne. Like, that's it. 
I think if the Bucks have any shot to win or come back in this series, they coming back home are just going to need guys like Forbes and uh, Bobby Portis, like guys like that to just step up and play well. Like Brent Forbes was really good in that he first was. series against Miami. I don't know where he's been since. And um, I think the Suns, man, for the first time in the playoffs last night, they just looked a little bit tired to me. And that's not a criticism. I just think if the Bucks want any chance to come back in this series, they're going to have to take advantage of that. And that's why they got a couple days off. You know, the good part about it is that, yeah, Zach, I agree with you. The Suns look tired. DeAndre Ayton look tired. But you got a couple days off. We have Friday, Saturday. Obviously, you got travel. But at the same time, you got a couple days off to regroup. I expect the Bucks in Game 3 because we're not going to be here the preview Game 3. So we might as well take a stab at it a little bit. I expect in Game 3 the Bucks to come out right out the gate and try to put the Suns away. I'm going to give Bucks the Bucks the game three because they need it. And like you said, you know, role players play better at home. My concern is that we, yes, we want to see the role players step up, but I don't want to see them do the job of the superstars. At the end of the day, it's going to boil down to Drew Holiday and Middleton. Which one of y'all is going to help Giannis out here? Because, yeah, we're going to have, you know, the supporting cast show up or whatever. They play better at home. But at the same time, you're the superstar. You're the star. You need to show up. So hopefully we see Drew Holiday more aggressive. He came out aggressive in the first quarter, take, took the first two shots. But just because you took the first two shots don't mean you got to go ghost throughout the whole game. You know, you got to continue that. You got to take these shots and make them. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a tough uh, game three because I don't know. The last time we saw the Suns at uh, away, Chris Boy at 42. So let's see how that works out. Uh, but um, even besides that, um. If, if somehow this also goes around Philly, because Philly wanted to trade uh, Michael Bridges in a first-round pick for Zaire Smith. <laughs> so that's a that's a funny thing over there how that happened. Um, Brent Forbes, it's a uh, it's it's an interesting topic with Brent Forbes because he's a, a knockdown shooter in my opinion. He's a great shooter, but he lacks so much defensively, and it's like it's daunting because when he's on the floor, the Suns kind of see him as like food and they attack them every possession as possible because every player the Suns have is essentially taller on the court than Brent Forbes. So whoever he's guarding is essentially attacking him regardless. And the Bucks play a lot of man-to-man defense, which causes a lot of people to have to back off whoever they're guarding to try to help Brent Forbes or help a weaker defender. And it's not working out in this case um, unless the Bucks continue to play passing leads to cause more turnovers. But even when they cause a turnover, they're not getting the points because then they turn the ball back over. I see Giannis get a steal. They turn the ball back over to them. So it is um interesting to see how this game will unfold in game three. Like I said, Mike Budenholzer needs to enhance his adjustments because it seemed like he has a game plan. If it doesn't work, he just sticks with it until it works. And that's not the case here. He needs to figure out how to get these guys moving well. Bobby Portis, I don't know if he's, uh you know, hopefully he gets more minutes next game. Because I think only played like, what, four or five minutes uh, game two? I didn't see him on the floor that often. And this is a guy who was doing well in the last series, and he's a guy who could score the ball. Uh, I don't know what's going to be the answer for this Bucks team, but I hope something changes. It really starts off with Holiday and Middleton. They need to play better. They're, they need to help Giannis. Giannis have 42 points, 20 in the third quarter. And they were losing by 15, 10, like 15 to 10 still. It was still like a large margin to losing by. And it was a tough, it's a tough game. For Giannis to do all by himself, like Middleton and Holiday need to find a way to get, be more productive. Rather, it's getting free throws, getting some lines, stopping the clock, something. They need to help Giannis because, like Zach and, and you alluded to, it's not Giannis' fault. This is like one of the first instances where people could say, yeah, you know, Giannis did everything he could. There's literally nothing else he could have did better. And, you know, 
It's just hard stuff. I got a question for both of y'all. I want to see what y'all thought. So starting with Zach. All right. So in a scenario that the Suns sweep, right? In a scenario the Suns sweep the Bucks, is that a job loss for Mike Boonholzer? Does he lose his job if he gets swept in the finals? Because I know a lot of people said, "Ah, right, he got to the finals. His job is saved and cemented at least for another year." You know, but if he gets swept in the finals, do you see a scenario that he gets fired? I think the only way I would fire him is if they have a guy in mind that they know 100%, okay, we're going to bring this guy in and he's going to be better than Mike Budenholzer. I have a hard time believing that they're going to find that guy. So if I were to guess, I think Budenholzer will be back next year, but that would be the only instance I see it happening. Uh, if he gets swept, I mean, I don't think he gets fired per se. I think he, like Zach and Zach said, he, he made the finals. That was like the goal. So he made it. And you know the first year is always they say the first year is always the toughest year, so maybe they, he keeps his job. But I don't know. Like I look at his I, when you look at everything he does within the games, you you have to look and see like is this really the guy that could win us a game? Because a lot of times when you look at like Zach said it before, the Bucks won by a thread against the Nets. They they won because KD's foot size was too small. So they're probably looking at that too. Like well, if KD had smaller shoe size, we would have lost that game that series. Like, I don't know if you could really sit here. And a lot of the times, there's a lot of ISO basketball. So it's like, I don't even know what plays are being drawn. And that's that's a lot of, that's another interesting thing. Cause it, you have to question, is the coaching, is the is the coach helping the team win? Or is the team's talent so good that they could just win without great coaching? Cause the, this adjustments are terrible. It's been like that since Atlanta. Like it, his adjustments never changed. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't see him getting fired even if they get swept. But that's it's, it's he's definitely on a hot seat for next season because that is it's just so it's just so bad that they're losing these games and they're, and they're close games too. Like I think they were down six at one point. They just couldn't close the gap. That's just he so had an answer every time, man. It, it was really impressive, man. Very impressive. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm if I'm the ownership, you know, I have a conversation with Giannis and see what he say. But um, I mean, you still got Mark Jackson out there. If you want to make a call to him, I don't know. I guess there's more likelihood that he's going to be back than not. But uh, well, it's just interesting to see because you, I feel like you have to uh, evaluate if you can win with Mike Boonehoser. Is he making the right adjustments, which he's clearly not. Everybody got a problem. The analysis is out here giving critiques and saying this, how it should be done. Giannis' brother is out here giving critiques. So right now, the franchise and everything about the franchise is not happy with the way how this series is going. So we'll see what happens. That'd be interesting. You are listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports? The request line one eight three three Radio BX. And boys, let's stay in the NBA Finals topic for a second. As the next question we have on the table here is Giannis uh, was quoted saying that winning a championship with the team that drafted you is special. And with that thought in mind, we are asking, should we be rooting for Giannis to win the title instead of a guy like Chris Paul? This is obviously not the team CP3 was drafted by. Lil, I know you threw this question on here, so uh, I'm going to throw it over to you to start it off. Man, that that's tough. I actually want to draw the reverse Uno cards and pass the rock to somebody who want to take this first because I'm interested in hearing y'all thoughts on this. So Isaiah, if you want to start us off, you could go right ahead. I mean, Giannis' sentiments, what he said was um, 100% right. You want to win a championship with the team that drafted you. I mean, LeBron's special case, he won a championship in Cleveland where he's from and where he got drafted. So that was like a 
a win-win for him, and it was like also a win for everybody because no one's seen, no one alive has seen Cleveland win a championship. So that it was, was like his best ring too. That was his best ring. When you look at LeBron James, that was his legacy yeah. right there. Yeah, but um, I don't, oh, what are you saying, no, Zach? You say you don't think that was the best? Uh, ring? Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's close, honestly. If, yeah. if you compare that ring to his others, but go ahead. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I I have to go Chris Paul winning the ring first before I see Giannis win the ring. Like Giannis could win the ring, you know, a year or two from now. Like his team, you know, they could they could potentially win out the East because their team is that good that they could uh, like talent wise they could especially if DiVincenzo comes back healthy and ready to go the next year. Like there's a possibility they could run it back and go back to the finals next season. But Chris Paul, this might be the season to win the ring, and the, that would cap off his legacy, like his Hall of Fame legacy. As he was like chasing this ring for years, that that was he's been saying this almost a decade, probably plus. Like a ring is what I'm looking for, a ring is what I want, rings what I need. And Chris Paul winning a ring is just that just caps off a legacy. It caps off basically since I was young watching him play, and to now like to see him win a ring finally, the talent he has, especially next season with Clay and Curry coming back fully healthy, ready to go. That Warriors team, and then fully healthy AD, LeBron, fully healthy Kawhi, Paul George. That West is gonna be tough. I don't know if the Suns win, win out the West again next season. So to see Chris Paul winning he, right here and now, to up 2-1 in the NBA Finals, it's a dream come true. I would love to see Chris Paul win this ring over, you know, of course, Giannis uh, winning a ring at home. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I think that when you look at the, these two teams, right, I think this Sun team, as great as it is, and I'll, I'll fully admit, like, when I watch them, they look like a team that's good enough to win a championship. But I don't think this is built for the long term for a lot of the reasons you just said the western conference is just too good it's too deep they're going to be a healthy uh laker team next year hopefully damian can be moving teams so we're going to have uh, Kawhi could be moving teams we, we're going to have a lot uh, of shuffling cards in the western conference and i just think when you look at the phoenix suns like this is their year they were built for a season like this with a guy like chris paul leading these young these youngsters uh deep into the playoffs and it's been a while now that when you watch the Suns, you're like, okay, wow, these guys are just all in there, the definition of a team, and they look like they're good enough to win a championship. When I look at the Bucks, one thing I respect about Giannis is that that contract, man, he had he had no reason to sign that contract as early as he did, aside from the fact that he really wanted to be a Milwaukee Buck for life. And I give him a lot of credit for that. There aren't a lot of superstars that were would be put in that situation in a place like Milwaukee. It, it, it really is kind of similar to LeBron, like Cleveland and Milwaukee. Those are two uh, similar markets, and we remember uh, what uh, LeBron did leaving uh, for Miami. But now I think it's on the Bucks. Even though they deserve credit for getting to the finals, when I watch this team, they don't look like they're good enough to win a championship. They didn't look good enough to win a championship against the Nets. And in the Hawks series, like they deserve credit, but at the same time, that was a Hawk team without a healthy Trey Young. So how far can you really take that? I think that in order for the Bucks to win a championship, they may need to make another move or two. But at the same time, it's hard to do that when you just gave up all of your assets for Drew Holiday. So I think that could be the predicament the Bucks are in right now. I tend to root for the guy who deserves it more and the team that's better. And my eyes tell me that's Chris Paul and Suns. Um, look, I'm going to have to disagree with both of y'all fellas. And me personally, I can tell you, the team that I'm rooting for is the Suns. I want to see CP3 win the championship. I'm going to be celebrating when CP3 wins his championship. So I want to get that clear. But to answer this question... In this instance, I'm not going to take short-term satisfaction 
over long-term, you know, ramifications. And what I mean by that is, yeah, short-term CP3 wins a ring. Yes, yes, that's that's right, brother. You've been through hell. You know, you got traded to the Thunder. You got traded to the Clippers. That big three didn't work. You know, you went on a tanking team and got them to the playoffs. And now you went to the Suns and got them to the finals. Great story. You know, and I, I love it. Hollywood, great movie right there. But at the same time, I'm thinking from a NBA perspective, the ramifications of loyalty. You know, being drafted by a franchise and winning a championship by a franchise, I think, I think that means so much more. Because in this present day of sports, especially in the NBA, you guys want to, you know, join super teams and they feel like they're not good enough to, to be where they at. So they got to leave. We probably want to see Dame, Damian Lillard leave at some point. He's probably going to get traded to a super team or whatever, how that plans out. So to see Giannis be loyal to a Bucks franchise that was loyal to him, that said, I'm going to build around you. I understand that you don't come with the full package, but we're going to put the full package around you. At least guys got to play better. We all know that, but they did what they had to do. So I think in the sense that loyalty always runs through more, you know, I, I want to see that sake of loyalty, you know, take over, you know, and I'm not saying Chris Paul wasn't loyal. His situation is different. He was traded and I understand that. So it's easy to rule for him as well. But I just want to see that loyalty one deep and strong in the NBA because other players might look at Giannis winning the championship and say, hmm. Maybe I don't have to lead this team if they build around me the right way. And maybe that team, that organization could say, oh, I see the way how they build around Giannis. My players have a little bit of deficiencies. He can't get over the hump. So we're going to take that motto and that blueprint and build around him so we can keep him. You know, you got to work with each other. So I want to see that's the reason why I think, you know, we should want to see Giannis win a championship. I had a question because, look, when do we uh, start to question the organizations and how they try to, quote-unquote, put players around star players? Like, for instance, Portland, you know, they gave them a lot of offensive power, but defensively, they are non-existent. So when do they start to realize that, hey, we need to put more defenders around him so he could work more, focus more on scoring the ball than have to do this all-around package deal and kind of tiring him out when the playoffs happen? Because Dame was an uh, offensive juggernaut this entire season. But... You know, when it came down to the playoffs and playing against, like, the Nuggets, they couldn't defend. They couldn't defend well at all. And this player, I know players are hurt. I know different things are happening. But when is it going to – when do we have to – when is it going to be, like, okay, these players have the right to just kind of – all right, like, it's tough to be loyal to a team that's not really looking out for success. I will say this. And I'm not going to sit here and throw shots at the Blazers. They did what they – you know, they, they tried. They just, they probably didn't do it correctly. So there's a difference between trying and, ah, you kind of messed up. You know, you didn't get guys on the defensive side. Where would you put the Bucks in that category? Because I think you you could put them in that same category. I think you could say, oh, they really did a good job developing a guy like Chris Middleton, bringing in Brooke Lopez, giving up a a bunch of assets for Drew Holiday, but still, like, that's not good enough. I don't think right now. They got to the finals. They know right, but, the right, 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 so, okay, of course, but are they any close to winning the finals? No, I mean, right? look, right now, no, they're down 2-0, but they got to the finals. At least they have that experience. You feel me? So you can't sit there and undermine how they, you know, Giannis was a project. He was a project. Yeah, we all knew the potential, but he was a pro- project. Who else we know is a project that had potential that's still a project today? Ben Simmons. And he got nowhere. You know, he's the... Five years in the league with no jump shot, nothing. Can't help you, no way. But they got more out of Giannis than they did Ben Simmons. 
So at the end of the day, we have to give credit where credit is due. I know the organizations are not perfect. Some organizations don't even look out for these. They know they deserve credit, but, right? But the question is, you have to take into account that it's so hard to build around a championship player in a low market in today's NBA. It's it's that simple. Right, I agree with you 100%. Uh, the Bucks do deserve a lot of credit for going all in and really committing to Giannis. They did whatever they could. So they gave up to Drew Holiday? That's a lot, right. and I said it. That was too much. No, right, of course, they of course. They wanted to make him happy. No, of course, and and I think they did make him happy. He signed the contract to stay. Totally agree. But at the same time, what happens now if they're stuck? Because I think if they lose this series, they're kind of stuck. It's, it's simple. The players got to play better. Drew Holiday, oh, got to play better. I don't better. know if they can, bro. Team, I, I really play don't. Better. I, don't know. I don't know if that's possible, bro. I don't. I think, I think the Bucks need a better coach. Year, they're not winning it with Middleton and Holiday as their two and three. I'll tell you that right now. I, I, I think it's a lot of a lot of components with the Milwaukee Bucks. I feel like it's beyond uh, player personnel because I, I, I agree with Zach. It's going to be tough for the Bucks to go anywhere with Milton has a two and Holiday at the three. And, if and they Irvin, they're all going to be healthy next year. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, on a full season are, on top are they, of that. Are they? Did you, have you looked at Kyrie Irving's track record? Are we sure he's <laughs> going to be there? You know, are we sure James Harden going to show up in a playoff game? Are we sure? Are we sure Steve Nash is going to make adjustments his first year? He was learning on the fly. Are we sure? Because I'm I, not. I, I mean, I've said it before. Um, they offered this deal to Drew Holiday. But uh, I, mean, I think when I heard the news about this Drew Holiday extension, I think they jumped the gun at offering $40 million a year for four years. I think that was just a, a, a rush job. They wanted to keep him, and they just said, hey, we'll give you $40 million a year, which is I just don't agree with it. You know, that guy is not a $40 million a year player. Shout out to him. He got his money. Shout out to his agent, who, you know, who got that deal. But is it? he is not a $40 million a year player. <laughs> Like, I get it, man. That's just, I, I don't know. And then back to the project players. Like, I understand Giannis was a project. And you could also mention a player like Jokic, who got drafted in the second round, another project. And you got these and different they build players around that are him, too. They built yeah. around him. The Nuggets going to have a good shot, I believe, in the Western Conference to come out the West next year. I just, you know? I, it, so, it's just kind of like the Suns have to win this year, right? Yeah, it, it comes down but, to coaching, though, right? Like, but look, how do players develop? I'm going to say this point. And like I said, Behind closed doors, not even behind closed doors. Y'all know I'm rooting for Chris Porter winning championship. But I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about it from the long-term effect. CP3 might be one and done this year with the Suns. He might win a championship and either do two do two things. Retire or go to the Knicks or somewhere where he get a, a two or three-year deal. So it's only going to be one and done. And so you kind of don't get nothing out of it other than CP3 getting his ring. 10, 15 years from now, nobody really going to like, you know, oh, I'm still happy that CP3 won his ring. It's going to go over. You know, the popularity, I always say this about popularity. It's It has a time capsule on it. It has a time limit. It's going to be there for that moment and it's going to disappear. But when you think about long-term loyalty, that's something that's always supposed to translate years later. You know, so that's what I'm trying to say. He's going to win the championship this year. We're going to be like, wee! But then he's probably not even going to run it back next year. So this is going to be one great year, and that was it. You know? And and Giannis, has some, he has an opportunity to build with a franchise and win championships, you know? Even though he might not do it this year. But that's my thoughts. You are listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. The request line, one radio bx We will be back in a few and talk some football. Get ready for the big payback. 
Welcome back to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. And we will be continuing the conversation within our quarterback rankings. If you've missed it over the last couple of weeks, my partner Will and I have been working on a big-time list going over each and every uh, quarterback 1-32 to 32 in the NFL, ranking them from best to worst. And you guys know that in the process of making such a tough list like this, we could make so many points about where so many guys are and with that in mind, we actually decided to bring Isaiah back on along with another uh, In the Huddle correspondent. He's been on the show many times before. I'll introduce him in a second. And we wanted to get some feedback. We wanted to get some extra opinions on our quarterback list. And joining us in the huddle is Carmelo Francis. Coach, how are we doing today? I'm pretty good, man. Bless and highly favor. Happy Friday to you guys. You know, happy to be a part of this, you know, this new episode. So let's talk football. Absolutely. So in case you missed it, Will, uh, his top five quarterbacks in the NFL were Lamar Jackson at number five, Josh Allen at number four, Justin Herbert at number three, Patrick Mahomes at number two, Tom Brady at number one. You can access his full quarterback list on the Can You Dig Sports Instagram page. That is Can You Dig Sports. Uh, that is the uh, username. And then you go to my top five quarterback list. You have Russell Wilson at number five, Tom Brady at number four, Deshaun Watson at number three. Aaron Rodgers at number two, and Patrick Mahomes at number one. So, Coach, you are our guest for today's show. I want to throw you the mic. When you look at my list, when you look at Will's list, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you that you would ask us about? Um, So the first question I want to ask you, especially for you, Zach, so the first question is, why do you have um, Daniel Jones ranked 32nd on your list? I mean, don't you believe, like, even with the new acquisitions that the Giants made during the offseason, even drafting a receiver in the first round, do you still believe that Daniel Daniel Jones should be ranked 32nd? So, I think when I looked at this quarterback list, right, one of the underrated factors that I built in that I don't know if a lot of people realize this is, can you win football games? Like, I know that's super simple, but can you win football games? And the reason why I had Daniel Jones at number 32 is because I think over the last couple of years, the Giants, their roster hasn't been terrible. Like they've been in a lot of close games. And the one thing that you just cannot do as a quarterback is turn the ball over. When you turn the ball over two to three times, that loses your team games. That just puts your defense in an impossible position to really get anything going and to win football games. And I just keep coming back to this stat. This dude has a career 36 turnovers in 21 career games. That, that That's not good enough, bro. Like that is losing your team games. I cannot think of another quarterback that has turned the ball over that many times and have lost his team so many games. I do think that Saquon Barkley being back, Kenny Galladay in the fold, another year with Joe Judge, that may improve it. But this guy just has a lot to prove for me. He has to stop turning the ball over. And to be honest, when the Giants drafted Daniel Jones at number 10, or uh, in the top 10 at number 6 overall, I kind of questioned the pick. There was never really a time where I watched him at Duke, and I said, okay, this kid is worth being a top 10 draft pick. Wow. And for you, Lil, I want to know, why, you know, why do you and Zach you know, put Dak Prescott at number 10? You know, I, I believe that, in my opinion, this is just me uh, thinking out loud, that Dak was just trying to make a point for that one year in order to get that contract extension. But I do believe that he might, you know, dissipate just a little bit. 
you know. But I don't think like you know, you know, on the list, I think Ryan Tannehill should be over him solely because you know of his stats numbers and the things that he has done in Tennessee. You know, the past two years. You know, I believe right now Dak is you know playing catch up in my opinion. But why? But I just want to know why do you guys believe he's ranked number ten on your so, list? I will say this. When we get to Ryan Tannehill and Dak Prescott, I have Dak Prescott one spot above Ryan Tannehill at number 10, and I have Ryan Tannehill at number 11. And the reason why I got Dak Prescott over Ryan Tannehill, and it's interesting, both quarterbacks, I believe, and Bucky Brooks has this famous line about quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks are trucks, or some quarterbacks are trailers. And trucks are the quarterbacks that can win you a game. That those are the quarterbacks that carry your team. They they are so important to your success. And without them, you'll be nothing. And a trailer is the team surrounding cast carrying you. And when I look at Dak Prescott and I look at Ryan Tannehill, I could say that both of those quarterbacks, they're trailers. You know, the team carries them. I have never seen a quarterback and Zach alluded to this before on the last show that has benefited from their surrounding cast more than Dak Prescott. And when you look at Ryan Tannehill, I think Ryan Tannehill is an overall better quarterback than Dak Prescott. But I feel like, you know, they're going to run the football. Remember, Derrick Henry is going to be over there. They're going to run the football. I still think he's going to put up MVP-like numbers. But I have Dak Prescott above him because last year, the trajectory, he was going to break records last year. Oh he was going to lead the league in passing yards, you know. So I have to take that in consideration. So that's why I kind of have him. At number 10, I think the, the offense is going to be firing on all cylinders. you got C.D. Lamb, who's poised for a breakout year. you got Amari Cooper. You have um, Michael Gallup. They're going to put up numbers. It's just the defense. And remember, you got to take in this to this in account. If they get blown out in games, if the game's not close like it was last year, that's stats inflation. Mm-hmm. So that's more stats added to Dak Prescott's name. So I think Dak Prescott is worthy mm-hmm. of being number 10. Wow. Nice. That's a good take right there. You know, I didn't see it from that perspective. I just thought, you know, based on, you know, the receiving crew or, like, you know, the weapons that Prescott has, that's why, you know, in my opinion, that's why you chose him at, at number 10 over Tannehill. Um, so the next question I have for you guys is, so I noticed that for the for the Denver Broncos quarterback situation, Zach have Drew Luck, but Lil have um, Teddy Bridgewater. So I, I want to Drew know. Luck and he got Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, I apologize. So I want to know, do you guys believe there's going to be a quarterback battle out in Denver? Yeah, I'll start I'll start this one off. I actually think that Drew Locke is probably going to open the season under center for the Broncos. Um, I just don't think he's good enough to maintain the job throughout the season. I think if the Broncos want to win games, Teddy Bridgewater gives them the best chance to do it. I'm not a big fan of Drew Locke. I just think turnover is a little too high. It's a little bit out of control. Um, I think if Denver wants to win, their formula is going to be running the football uh, with the rookie uh, running back Williams from Buffalo they just drafted. They're going to need Cortland Sutton to get going. He's one of the better receivers in football. Had a devastating ACL injury last year. He'll be back in the fold. Look, this Bronco team has talent. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. Uh, my issue is their division is really hard, and I don't trust their head coach at all. Vic Fangio has no idea how to manage the clock. Uh, so I think in order for them to win football games, they're going to need to do it uh, very simply with Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback. Just don't make mistakes. I want to answer that, and then I'm going to pass the rock to Isaiah to ask a question here. But when it comes to the Broncos, right, I think the Broncos are a very interesting team. And I'm actually – I think the Broncos, if they get the quarterback right, they can compete and be that third team 
that makes the playoffs if well, they get the quarterback, quarterback right. Who is that quarterback? And, and right now, and right now, as it stands on my list, I have Drew Lock number thirty-two because I believe they're going to try to give him the start. When you look at a situation where you have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who's way past his prime, and you have a young quarterback who's third year in the league, if the quarterback competition is close, and Teddy Bridgewater do not surpass Drew Lock, you're going to go with the young guy because he has the most to gain because he's going to have years left in the NFL. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have any updates on that quarterback battle. I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater has significantly passed um, Drew Locke. So I think they're going to roll with the young guy. And I believe that's why I have him at number 32. He has the surrounding cast to be worthy of being in the top 32. Ain't nobody going to sit here and put him lower, I don't think. You know, especially if he starts. So that's why I do have him at 32. I'll just say one last thought. I don't think Drew Locke is good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> Isaiah, talk to me. I actually had a question. It's actually a Matt Stafford question. So he's going to this Rams team, and um, Sean McVay makes a lot of different plays that's like kind of uh, pass heavy at, at, um, some, at times. Uh, sometimes he likes to, some games, depending on his matchup, he's a pretty good coach where he determines where he's going to do early on, kind of he's going to be pass heavy or, or run, rush heavy. But with Matt Stafford going to um, the Rams, what is the possibility that he actually moves up from eighth and ninth on your list to? Uh, actually, he's eighth. He's eighth on Zach's list, and then I believe on your list, he's same. He's same. Most same eighth. So, eight. what was the possibilities that he could actually outplay quarterbacks such as like Lamar Jackson, who's at five and on your list and stuff like that? I think well, there's a possibility. I think that there is a possibility he can be worthy of hovering over that top five range because Lamar Jackson, like I said last year, when it comes to the passing stats. You know, the they was dead last in the passing game. But I like the offseason moves that they made getting with Sean Bateman and, you know, supplying Lamar Jackson with talent. He's going to be in the MVP conversation regardless if they pass the game is up to par or not because he has those highlights. He has those electric plays, you know. And part of my top 10 was basically where I predict they're going to slide when the MVP projections come out, you know, when they, the list come out. So I think he's still going to have an opportunity to put up numbers. But there is a scenario because we all know Matthew Stafford has put up video game numbers in a terrible situation in Detroit. And he has his coach. So I can see a scenario where he can be ahead of Lamar Jackson. But um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Zach, I pass it to you. So I totally understand, like, people's criticisms of Matt Stafford in Detroit. I understand the Lions are a, ter a terribly run organization. But I also understand the argument, like, if you're a top 10 quarterback, you should be able to win at least one playoff game in 13 years, no matter who's on your team. Like, I, I get that. But with that being said, the reason why I had Matt Stafford at number eight was because I just think that he is going from literally one of the worst situations in the NFL to maybe the best situation in the NFL. And I think that he really does have an opportunity to pass guys like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen just because I think he's good enough to lead this team to a Super Bowl. I really believe that. I think that this is his best opportunity since he's been in the league to make a big-time run. And is the pressure going to be on him? Absolutely. He needs to show me that he could win a playoff game or two. But at the same time, I just can't get Sean McVay out of my head, man. He is an, a genius. I love the way he has come into the NFL and has just set new trends. He's the first coach to just say, screw it. I'm not playing any players in the preseason. And everyone at first was like, what is this guy doing? These guys are going to be so rusty. And then now, three, four years later, you guys realize, 
No one is playing any starters in the preseason because of that guy. And I think the coaching job that he did last year was phenomenal. Uh, getting a team with Jared Goff to the final eight, super impressive. And look, Matthew Stafford, we could have our critiques, but uh, I just really like the situation he's going into. I really do. And uh, I just had one more question, I think, regarding Josh Allen. So, you know, last season he had a, he had a pretty good year. But it was also it was a COVID a COVID riddled year, but a lot of players elected not to play and such. Um, do you feel like that the season he had last season was kind of a like nope. a fluke season in a sense where people were out, like defenses weren't fully intact, the rosters weren't fully there, or do you feel like he's actually just the guy who who he really is and he's going to improve on that this season? So one thing I will say about Josh Allen and Will remembers this near and dear to his heart, like. I'll admit, he was not good his first two years in the league. Like, as a matter of fact, he was bad. He couldn't make a throw. He was not accurate. He was way too reckless with the ball. And I think Buffalo deserves credit bringing in Stephon Diggs. That obviously was a game-changing move. But last year, I'll admit, Josh Allen was one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the league. He was phenomenal. He was super impressive. But at the same time, he does have his moments still where he'll make a head-scratching play or two. And I think he was so good last year that it is unreasonable for me to think he's going to be able to repeat it again this year. I'm not saying that to throw any shade at him. I think he's still a top seven, top eight quarterback in the league. I just think last year was so, so good that it is unreasonable for me to expect him to do that again, especially with fans back in the building, with uh, teams getting a little bit more film and experience on him. But I will say he's much better than I would have ever expected him to be. So he deserves credit for that. Yeah, I was one of those people who very minority, you know, in the minority that said Josh Allen was going to be a star in the league. And this is before that leap. And a lot of people always ask me, yo, Leo, how did you know? You know, like almost some final destination. How did you saw it? You saw it? How did, how did you see it? It was because I just knew he had the gifts. It just was the fundamentals and the mechanics that need to be polished. And when you get into a situation in the NFL, you know, the playbooks are easier now. It's not like you have to have a certain skill set these days. It's more of the coaches are going to bring the game and play to your strengths. And all we needed was a little bit of improvement from his mechanics. And yeah, like Zach alluded to, he'll be have these few plays where he'll make some boneheaded plays. But he reminds me of Big Ben and Big Ben's prime. You know, a guy that's hard to bring down, a guy that, you know, who the play is not over until it's over. That's Josh Allen. And to some degree, it concerns me a bit because he's going to probably take unnecessary hits. So we're going to have to see how that wear and tear on his body is going to play out. A lot of people like to talk, talk about Lamar Jackson and his potential success or injuries that may plague him. But let's look at Josh Allen here. He's the one that's in the pocket. You know, Josh um, Lamar Jackson knows how to get out of the pocket. He'll make something. He'll be Houdini. But Josh Allen, he's that pocket guy. So the injuries probably is going to be a concern probably going forward. But as far as his talent and the leaps that he's taken last year and the situation with the coaches, he's in the perfect situation. They didn't just, like, leave the team last year constructed going into this year. They got him Emmanuel Sanders. They got him help. People don't people forget they got him Kenny Stills. So he's in a predicament where he couldn't be successful so i don't think that last year was a fluke i think this year he's gonna be a top five quarterback i have him at number four but then we'll see what happens i have one last question and i just want to see go towards chicago for a minute what is the likelihood we see justin fields on the field this season 
I think it's very likely, especially if um, Andy Dalton doesn't win games. I think that's what it really comes down to. If you win games, you're going to be in the lineup. And I think last year, like, let's face it, Matt Nagy kind of screwed up the quarterback and the, the competition there because as bad as Mitch Trubisky was, like, he was clearly better than Nick Foles. And I think Bears fans are going to be hungry to see Justin Fields, especially if they don't win games. We know all the uncertainty that's going on uh, in the Packers uh, organization right now with Aaron Rodgers, whether he's going to play or not. It's hard to trust a team led by Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer. So I think the Bears actually have a, they have an opportunity here. They uh, just have to get it right this season. And if they make the playoffs or not, could be uh, could determine if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are uh, looking for a job next year or not. The Bears um, need to go all in. Right now, Aaron Rodgers may not be there um, next tomorrow. To be my head trade, you know, and the trades always happen when we don't expect it. You know, Mike Tyson left hook. Oh, I ain't see it. I'm knocked out. The fight is over. We may see a scenario where we wake up one morning and Aaron Rodgers is gone. So now that puts the Bears and the Vikings in the driver's seat to win that NFC North. And me personally, I like the Bears in that scenario to win. I know Zach like the Vikings in that scenario to win. But... With Ryan, um, with um, Matt Nagy, he's in a situation where his job is on the line. So sure. I can see a scenario where we look at the, that Cleveland Browns team when they drafted Baker Mayfield and they started Tywar Taylor, and they the crowd was like, "Yo, get Baker in here, get Baker in here," and they got Baker in here and he fed off the crowd. I believe that was a big part of his success that year was the the energy, the crowd, like cheering him on. I can see a scenario where the fans is like. Get this garbage out of here and get Justin Fields in the game. And I could de definitely see him um, at some point this season being the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Cam, talk to me. Wow. So, all right. So, I'm going to pick, you know, you and Zach Brains out right now. So, uh, I noticed that on your quarterback list, you guys have Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, on your top 20 list. Do you believe that? You know, Fitzpatrick will finish the season out in Washington, even though that they, you know, signed Taylor Taylor Heineke to a two-year deal. And what's his name? Kyle Allen. He's coming back from a gruesome ankle injury. So do you believe that he, Ryan Fitzpatrick is still a top 20 quarterback on yeah. your list? Absolutely. I think he's he has a potential to be top 15. I have him at 17. And the reason why I do is because he showed me something last year, you know, and I saw what he did on the mm -hmm. Dolphins. When you think about the Dolphins wide receiving core and they surround the cast, it's nothing compared to Washington. Washington got Terry McLaurin. Washington went out and got Curtis Samuel. Washington went out and got Adam Humphreys. So he's actually in a better situation with, uh, uh, I would say, a better defense than the Dolphins, even though Ryan Flores, he coaches those guys up. But I like the Washington football team. I think they have one of the best defenses in the NFL in total. They have a good surrounding cast offensively. So it's no excuse for Fitzpatrick this year. You know, I wanted to see how he finished last year because normally he runs out of gas. But we haven't really got to see that because they wanted to try out Tua. So I want to see him this year. Can he finish a year strong, you know, all through and through. So I think he will. And that's why I have him at 17. And that's why I actually have the Washington football team taking their division this year. Yeah, so I had him right around there. I had him, I had him at uh, 19. And I will admit, I think the Dolphins, like, it was clear to me they were a better team when Fitzpatrick was under center than Tua was. I think that was pretty clear to everyone. And I do think that even though Ryan Fitzpatrick has never made the playoffs in his career, I totally understand that. I think this is going to be his best opportunity to do that. I think that Washington, 
along with all the weapons we'll mention, Antonio Gibson, he's a top 10, top 12 running back in this league, one of the better rookies uh, in the NFL last year. I think their offensive line is getting better, and I trust Ron Rivera. I really do. I think that defense is elite, as Lil said. And uh, I do think that Fitzpatrick is going to, if he wants to start all 17 games and lead a team to the playoffs, this is going to be his best year to do it. Now, I do think that the NFC East, it's not a great division, but at the same time, Cowboy fans expect to win the division. Now, we know in the past how that's turned out, but the Giants have a lot of expectations this year as well. I think Philadelphia does as well. So I do think that division is no guarantee for Washington to win it, but at the same time, I would look at the situation they're in and say, okay, it looks pretty good. Wow. And my next question I have for you guys is, so right now there's two quarterbacks that are issue we have one in green bay and aaron Rodgers. he's not showing up to training camp and you have another quarterback down in houston and deshaun watson you know he's going through some allegations like out of those two quarterbacks yeah out of those two quarterbacks who do you believe will play this season and who do you believe will not play this season and why i think aaron Rodgers is going to line up on the center i i think it's more likely than deshaun watson deshaun watson got 22 accusers bro he got a whole female army against him out for his neck. You all right? So in this era of the Me Too and all that, I'm good luck, my brother. Even though we saw Bill Cosby got out, you know, out of jail a couple days ago, I don't think Deshaun Watson will escape this one. I think he's going down. And there's no explanation behind having 22 different massage therapists. I, I can't defend that. You know, I wanted to defend Deshaun Watson in the beginning because I, I am a firm believer that, you know, sometimes things could get misconstrued. But when I, when I look at that and I take that into consideration, I can't defend that. So I think Aaron Rodgers is more likely than not going to be um, under center because he had an opportunity to opt out. Um, there was a deadline for him to opt out. He didn't meet that deadline. So I think he's just being a little bit of a you-know-what right now in this situation. He needs to suck it up and be back under center. And I think he will realize that that's his best opportunity for him to win. Yeah, I agree 100%. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, I agree 100%. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to play. Like, the more and more I look at the situation, I think if he was not going to play, he would have made it known by now. And I do expect him to be under center for the Packers uh, in week one. And as for Deshaun Watson, like, I'm just waiting for the NFL to make a move. Like, the fact that they haven't made anything yet is crazy. We spoke about the comparison between him and Trevor Bauer on last week's show. It's crazy. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I it's going to be hard to see this guy playing football anytime soon. It really is. It's unfortunate. Any last questions from either one of y'all? Yes, I do. I have one for Isaiah, well, for everybody on here. Which second-year quarterback do you believe will have a breakout year? Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Tua, or Jalen Hurts? Justin Herbert. You know, I have him ranked number three on my list. Um, I think he's going to have an opportunity to be MVP. Last year wasn't no fluke. I mean, under pressure, he threw for the second most yards on touchdowns under pressure behind Drew Brees. Those are things that you can't say that, oh, he's going to have a down year. You have to look at those statistics, you know, QBR, those things matter. He put up 4,600 yards last year with a decimated wide receiving group. He gets those guys back. The offense is going to run through him. Justin Herbert is going to put up video game numbers this year. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think Herbert's going to be really good. But I will say, I... I'm not going to take anything away from the other two. I really liked what I saw from Joe Burrow last year. You hope he stays healthy, but if he is is healthy and if he is anything similar to what he was last year, I think the Bengals have themselves a franchise quarterback uh, to be excited about. And look, man, 
Tua's interesting because the Dolphins got him weapons now. They got Jalen Waddle, a guy that he played with in college. They bring in Will Fuller as well. This is going to be another year in that system. He's healthy, and there are really no excuses, man. Last year, I'll admit, he didn't look healthy to me. It was a redshirt season. That's fine. You know, you bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick sometimes. There's no confusion now. This is his job. The ball is in his court, and I'm curious to see what he could do and if he's going to run with the job and lead this very capable Dolphin team to the playoffs like I think he could. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because, like um, Zach alluded to, Zach, um, Joe Burrows played really well before the injury. You know, he could throw the ball. And we, just, we all saw that on the Bengals team when people questioned how the Bengals would operate without, you know, a quarterback or how Joe Burrow would do in Cincinnati. And then we talked about Justin Herbert uh, a couple of days ago as well when, um, you know, Lil alluded to that um, he's a quarterback that we haven't seen put up this production. You know, what was it, over 4,000 yards and 33 touchdowns, correct? 4,600. Um, 30, touch, 30 plus touchdowns, yeah. So it's like it's like a crazy, it's a crazy number he's putting up. Um, you know, and we just have to see. Uh, question: Do we do we believe that Justin Herbert would repeat that performance? You know, I think he would. Um, and others think he would as well. So I think Justin Herbert could be the clear, uh, good like top, probably top MVP candidate if he repeats the performance he did last year. Um, but you know, I always hold, I always have an eye at uh, Joe Burrow. Man, he just he was throwing a ball phenomenal last year and i just hope that he comes back healthy so then we could see that performance again in cincinnati you know cincinnati doesn't really have that many shows so the fact that he's putting on broadway shows in cincinnati is lovely <laughs> I, like I just want to make one comment about that staying on the topic real quickly we see it so many times that there's a lot of factors that go into drafting a quarterback you know i know i looked at the you could look at the oregon and, and justin herbert being on oregon and say he didn't win a lot, he didn't win a lot of big games when he was supposed to. But sometimes we have to take into account coaching, situation, guys being on TV more. So that's more eyes for you to evaluate. Guys don't really do their homework a lot the way how they should. Because if they did, they have to evaluate his performance on the field, not the record, not not showing up in big games. And if they did, I mean, the Bengals, you had the opportunity to draft the number one. Now, I know a lot of people will say, Leo, in hindsight, that's easy to say. But these are the tough decisions that you have to make as a GM. Do I reach? Do I try to, you know, try to find gold in a pot? Or should I just go with the safe bet? You know, and I see that so many times where guys reach or they go with the safe bet and it don't work out. Not saying that Joe Burrow is not going to work out. He's a fantastic quarterback. Number 16 on my list, a top 15 quarterback. But Justin Herbert, to be honest with you, could be a top five quarterback in the league. So those are the tough decisions you have to make as a GM. Plus, the situation has a lot to do with it, too. I mean, the Chargers have talent. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. The Bengals are a poorly run organization. Yeah. Situation always matters. Zach is right about that. True. All right. That, those are our lists, y'all. So, you know, check the full check the full list out on Instagram or Can You Dig Sports on Instagram. And my list and Zach's list is right up there. So, check it out. Leave a comment. Feel free to debate. You are listening to Can You Dig Sports uh, on In the Huddle, or you're listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. The request line one eight three three Radio B X. Boys, let's move on to the last and final segment of today's show. And staying in the NFL, there was some news breaking over the last couple of days surrounding the Patriots' former number their. Uh, 2019 uh, first-round pick, Nikhil Harry, wide receiver from Arizona State, as he apparently has requested a trade as things between him and Bill Belichick. It's not really working out in New England. So the question we have on the table today is, did the Patriots fail Nikhil Harry or the opposite? 
And, Will, I'm going to throw this over to you to start us off. What comes to mind? All right, so I'm going to do the honors, and I'm going to take this case. This is the Kill Harry case, and I'm going to be the defendant to the Kill Harry here, you know, in this trial. This was doomed to fail from the start. And one thing I love about football is that over the years, football was a sport that I got into first out of all sports. And so my knowledge is more advanced in football than it is in other sports, you know. And you have to look at this and say it was doomed to fail from the start. When you think about Nikhil Harry's skill sets, when you think about the Patriots system and how they use certain wide receivers, speedy guys, wild runner guys, what did you see in Nikhil Harry that you thought was going to fit in the England system? Nikhil Harry is a physical guy who uses his size, who uses his strength. How does that fit? in New England system where they like guys that know how to catch in space, speedy guys, Julian Edelman's of the world, Danny Amendola's of the world, Wes Welker's of the world. How did Nikhil Harry was going to fit in New England? So New England did a disservice to not only Nikhil Harry, but to themselves by drafting him knowing or should have known that it wasn't going to be a fit. So you did him a disservice. So you failed him by drafting him anyway. That's when you started to fail him. But now he gets on the team. All right, cool. Where's the development at? When I look at New England and I look at all the guys that Bill Belichick took throughout this whole decade or beyond this decade, let's start from 2002. David Givens, round seven. You heard of him? I didn't. Dion Branch, I heard of him. He did a few good things here and there, 2002. 2003, Bethel Johnson. Never heard his cat in my life. Where are you now? I don't know. 2004, P.K. Sam, round five. Never heard of him. Chad Johnson. Never heard of him. Not talking about Chad Ochocinco here. It's another guy named Chad Johnson. Never heard of this cat. Oh. 2008, Matthew Stafford. I mean, Matthew Slater. Excuse me. Round five, special teams. He's a special teams guy now. 2009, Julian Edelman. Yeah, I heard of him for sure. 2009, Brandon Tate. I heard of him. 2010, Taylor Price. Never heard of him. 2012, Jeremy Albert. Round seven. Never heard of him. Josh Boyce. Round four. Where is he? Where is he? 2013. Uh, Aaron Dobson, where is he? Jeremy Gallon, 2014, round seven, where is he? Devin Lucent, round seven, where is he? Malcolm Mitchell, 2006, 2016. He was talented. I thought he showed shape. What happened to him, bro? He fell off the face of the earth quick. Face off the earth. 2018, Braxton Berrios, round six. That's a Jets cat in my life. 2019, Nikhil Harry is the latest victim in Bill Belichick's um, non-abilities to develop wide receivers. And that's just what it is. You know, it's that plain and simple. I brought out the stats. They have not developed this guy. Now, I know this dude is not the most talented guy out there. But if you have a situation where they can use his skill sets in the red zone, you know, um, one-on-one balls, you know, something like that down the field, try to use his skill sets, he'll be in a better predicament and he will stand a chance that he didn't stand when he was drafted to New England. Also, Muhammad Sanu. We all saw that. That didn't work out as well. They gave up a second-round pick for the guy. I mean, come on. The history speaks for itself. Well, I said, for me, I'm the total opposite. I just think that he's a bust. You know, by the time he got to New England, I get it. In his first year, he only played in seven games because, you know, he had an ankle injury during training camp. But however, you know, he finished the season well with 12 receptions for 105 yards to touchdown. But in his second year, he played in 14 games. So I say he has say he doubled the total amount of games that he played from his previous year. And what I noticed, bro, on 57 targets, bro, he only caught like um, based on what I saw was 33. 
33 catches for 309 yards and two touchdowns. And, and you know, what, I said what made matters worse, James White, a running back, had more targets than, um, than he did at 62. And the problem with Nikhil Harry that, you know, you guys probably don't see, um, he, you know, he has a hard time creating separation, and you know, which make it difficult for him to get open. And the problem is um, every time when defenders, you know, press him one-on-one, you know, he has a hard time creating separation to the point where, like, the defender, where, like, mediocre defenders, you know, still manage to keep up with him. But I really think, you know, Nikhil Harry didn't approve himself to develop himself to become a better receiver, you know, in New England. So I just believe he wasted his time. So I believe that Nikhil Harry is a bust. Isaiah? Um, it's it's complex to say because, you know, that first year he was hurt. It's always tough for players, especially in a rookie year. Like, if they don't really take care of themselves and they get hurt, it's going to be tough for them to come back and fully healthy to play during the season. So, you know, that first season, he, he was martyred with an injury, that ankle injury, which is arguably one of the most important injuries because that's what you need to, to route run, to, to, to make certain cuts and stuff. So, if you get hurt in that ain't that uh, facet and you never recover fully, it's going to be tough for you to even have any kind of impact on the field. Um, that second season, though, you know, it's it's tough because you're playing on a, on a Patriots team, but you also have a quarterback in Cam Newton who is more known for making short play, short passes and, like, in the latter part of his career. And James White and, like, the Patriots set up the offense so the quarterback can make a quick decision instead of waiting for the play to unfold. Um, it's just unfortunate because Nikhil – Harry's frame shows that he could possibly be an impact on the field because of how like how tall he is and he kind of is an opposing figure to other defensive backs on any opposing team essentially. But um, you know he had to, he has to develop more. He has to have different tools in his in his back pocket so that he's able to get get open and get the ball in a sense. Um, I do think it's like partially. I mean, I do feel like it's the Patriots' fault for not developing developing him well. He is a rookie. He was a rookie and he is a second year player. We have to develop you guys and know their strengths and weaknesses so you can help them be um, give you a positive impact for the team, help the team win. So if the team is not helping develop, then, like, how the heck is he supposed to even be any sort of impactful? Yeah, I agree. I think that it's really a combination of both. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's very hard for me to sit here and defend Bill uh, Belichick's track record as a general manager. Like, over the past three, four years, like, it's sucked. I don't know what happened to Sony Michelle. Like anyone remember him? His first year, his first he year was good. He was really good, and they took him in the first round. When you take a running back in the first round, you know how I feel about that. That running back better be good, or else that is just the definition of a wasted draft pick. And that year, when the Patriots won the Super Bowl, yeah, like he was really good. But the last two years, he has been literally non-existent. He has shown no explosiveness. And New England lost Joe Tooney, a really good offensive lineman. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he could get his career back going. They have another a young running back, Damian Harris, who I actually think is pretty good. I think he, he could play a little bit. But um, when we look at Nikhil Harry, like, I'm not going to deny the injury his rookie year, that's a big key to this. I think that set him back from the beginning. At the same time, though, that's not an excuse. This guy, there's no reason why you're a first-round pick and you can't make an impact. It has never been easier for you to come into the league as a physically gifted receiver. And some of the plays he made at Arizona State, like, it was really impressive. He can make one-handed catches. Like, he's athletic. He's a physical guy. But at the same time, his game just hasn't translated to the New England system. He's still super young. He's still only been in the NFL for two years. I don't think his career is over by any means. Maybe he just needs that change of scenery. But at the same time, it is a little bit weird 
even when you consider how his first two years have went, to just bail from a Bill Belichick coach team that quickly, it really just shows you how different some guys' mentalities are today compared to years past. Yeah, that and um, Bill Belichick, his juice, his leadership is not there. And I, I could argue that Tom Brady is the Patriot way himself. You know, ever since Tom Brady's, le- ever since Tom Brady left, he had opt outs, eight opt outs. Guys don't respect Bill Belichick the same anymore. You know, and I don't know if it was Tom Brady they respected or what, but guys do not respect Bill Belichick. When you have eight opt-outs, right, at the end of the day, team is a family. Those opt-outs can wait. I'm going to war with my team. You have eight opt-outs. And also, you have Nikhil Harry coming out and saying, I want to be traded. You also have the Stephon Gilmore situation where he was about to hold out last year in training camp and all that. So guys don't respect Bill Belichick no more, and that's just what we're seeing without Tom Brady's presence. Well, why is that, though? He's still Bill Belichick. He still won six rings. Like, come on. Like, I don't get it. Some people say it was Tom Brady six rings. They, that's the yeah. argument, like the Brady and the Belichick issue. That's okay, like, well, come on. Right, like, like, I don't think anyone's going to say fully and just say, oh, Bill Belichick had nothing to do with those rings. They were all Tom Brady. He taught, he taught Tom Brady everything he knew, but Tom Brady <laughs> took the lesson and, you know, just gave him a blessing after that. That was just what it is. It went from the chalkboard to the smart board. That's exactly what happened. It's, exactly. <laughs> But anyway, y'all. Um, well, before you say that, this is actually going to be a, a good segue. Speaking of Bill Belichick and his future in coaching, uh, since our quarterback list has ended this week, stay tuned because next week we have another yes. list regarding uh, coaches in the NFL that we're going to be really looking forward to uh, sharing with you guys. Ooh, I love oh. that. I love that. Let's go. Because if you hey, thought this list was good, oh, you're going to really good. enjoy next week's as well. So, y'all, right. stay tuned. Um, Shout out to everybody that was on the show today. Y'all have a great weekend, and we'll be back. All right. In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports, 1833 Radio BX. If you want to get in touch with Lil or myself, y'all know how to do it. Instagram, Can You Dig Sports. Everyone, have a great weekend. And, yeah, talk to you guys soon.